welcome to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. Sydney Ideas is the University of Sydney's public events program, providing you with the opportunity to hear leading thinkers from our university and around the world. Enjoy the podcast. My name is Julia Horn and I'm Associate Professor of History uh, in the Department of History at the University of Sydney and currently Director of SHARK. Sydney Social Sciences and Humanities Advanced Research Centre, which you can see why we call it SHARK. Um, now, a really important part of tonight's proceedings, I think you'd agree with me, is the acknowledgement of country, as it reminds us that Europeans have not been the only ones meeting on this land to discuss ideas and to learn more about the way the world works but that such gatherings and the sharing of wisdom by First Nations peoples have really been a part of the cultural fabric of this country for a long, long time, long before the arrival of European colonisers. So it's in that vein that I'd like to acknowledge and pay my deep respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and it's upon their ancestral lands that the University of Sydney is built. And I'd also like to pay my respect to elders past and present and to those who may be present here tonight. So welcome to this Sydney Ideas event, Wild AI and Tame Humans. Now, I think as many of you will know, the American computer scientist, John, B John McCarthy, first coined that phrase, artificial intelligence, in 1956. McCarthy, along with others, is seen as one of the founding fathers of this concept, more broadly imagined than perhaps he did in the mid-1950s when he came up with it. Culturally, the concept has a long history in fiction, in films, in comic books, and other sorts of published and artistic work, plays and all the rest. In the West, artificial intelligence is often dragooned by the villains in films or books to conquer and suppress whole populations. But in Japan, to take just one example, there are actually many examples uh, in popular culture of not only friendly robots, but downright cute ones. Think of Astro Boy as just one example for those of you who remember who Astro Boy is. So we see here that artificial intelligence not only has a technical or technological past, present and future, powered by computers and machines, but also a deeply cultural and moral one, which, depending where you are in the world, may be friendly or deeply disturbing. And so it's in that vein that I wish to introduce our speaker tonight, um, Mark Kuckelberg. Professor of Media and Technology at the University of Vienna. Professor Kuckelberg thinks deeply about artificial intelligence as a cultural and moral issue and what this means for the future of humanity. He's published 10 books on technology and machines. He's a philosopher, that's what his discipline, that's where he was trained, as it were. So he has thought about how philosophy can actually help us think about machines and technology. What happens when we think of machines or technology as metaphors, what that might actually stand for, as well as the new romanticism of the cyborg. He also contributes to the field in a really practical way, and I think this is really wonderful that philosophers can actually um, you know, be part of society and speak publicly on these sorts of issues, and he's, uh, because he's a member of the high-level expert group on artificial intelligence in the European Commission. So I'm really delighted to welcome Professor Kuckelberg to the University of Sydney tonight. His visit is part of Shark's 2020 program, oh, sorry, 2019, I'm a year ahead of myself, in collaboration with co-funding from Cirrus, which is the Sydney Institute for Robotics and Intelligence Systems, and the Socio-Technical Futures Lab also. They've all contributed in bringing you here. 
Shark's program includes bringing international visitors of the calibre of someone like Mark to Australia to contribute to what we see as really important debates about the place of humanity in the world. So the issues that actually face us and how we as um, humanities or social science people can help to make that right again. I need to also thank Chris Cheshire and the Digital Cultures Program for organising Professor Kuckelberg's visit to Sydney, which includes other activities over the next week. But tonight, Mark will foreshadow his upcoming book, AI Ethics, and dive, I think, into the realms of real ethical issues and urgent policy challenges for development and use of artificial intelligence and robotics in society. So do the benefits of artificial intelligence outweigh the potential negative effects in the context of those social responsibilities for humanity? Will intelligent machines soon take over, turning us into their slaves or into their raw materials? Or is it going to be Astro Boy who comes to the rescue? So with that, please welcome Mark Kuckelberg. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, first of all, I want to repeat some thanks here. Um, thanks to all the centers and institutes who have uh, made possible that, that I'm here now, and that I have a chance to connect with you, with people here at the University of Sydney, um, and come for the first time in my life to Australia. So I'm very happy with that. Um, and uh, yeah, so in particular, I should mention the uh, Humanities and Social Science Center, but also the robotics people uh, and, and uh, the Future Lab. Um, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not a coincidence that, that um, these different institute centers are involved here because um, what I try to do in my research um, is exactly to also connect um, different disciplines, different people uh, to work on topics of ethics of technology. Um, and so I, I think this is very um, good development that also within universities, there's more and more of this kind of collabor collaborations, whether it's for my talk or also for uh, for, for other purposes. Um, so it's good to see here that in Sydney this happens. My background is in philosophy, um, but yeah, I, I do all kind of interdisciplinary activities. For example, here Inbots is a project on inclusive robotics, which I work together with technical researchers. Um, so this is typical my way to, to, um, to tap into European funding also. Um, but uh, not just for for um, functional reasons for for getting funding, but for also uh, using it as an instrument to uh, bring ethics into technical projects. Um, and then, yeah, I've, I'm also busy with policy, as already mentioned. Um, uh, also at national level in Austria, um, I'm, I'm uh, in a council on robotics and artificial intelligence policy. Um, I'm, I'm, this is not only happening, of course, in, in, uh, in Europe. It's everywhere now in the world. Um, governments uh, and advisory um, uh, bodies release reports on artificial intelligence, especially uh, it's, very, it's a very popular topic now. Um, and so what I want to do tonight is to say more about the ethical problems of artificial intelligence. Now, when we think about artificial intelligence, um, a big influence on our thinking is our imagination, and our imagination is fed by um, science fiction. Um, you know, the movie uh, Space Odyssey, 2001. This is uh, uh, the computer Hull who refuses to open the bay doors, um, the machine who takes over. This is a very, um, very popular image in science fiction. And it's also an image that um, we inherit 
in public discussions, in the way journalists write about a topic, um, even in the way images are chosen for, um, for, for any kind of work on the topic. Um, but it's, it's not only people outside science who might have fantasies about the technological future, there are also people uh, within science and technology and even within industry like Elon Musk who um, believe these narratives that tell us that uh, artificial intelligence is very dangerous, that it can destroy human civilization. Often these people listen to transhumanists who um, believe that there will be a singularity, a point after which everything will be different because the machines um, will be uh, taking a new step for humanity as a whole. And uh, in a sense, the old humans that we are will become obsolete because we will morph into transhumans, into something different, or the machines will take over. So. This kind of team has a, a long cultural history, and I'm especially interested in the 19th century there um, because I think there, the, the, um, the, the narrative of Frankenstein is still very influential today. The idea that uh, technology becomes a monster gets out of control. In fact, what happens in Frankenstein is not so much that the monster uh, turns away uh, in, as, as a first step, but rather that the creator abandons the monster. And then the, the monster becomes a monster, becomes uh, out of control. But what happens first is that the creator um, takes distance from the creation. And this is very dangerous, and this is an, a moment that's very important for ethics. Um, because what it means is that People who technically design, develop technology sometimes distance themselves from the implications, saying that they just make the technical thing and then what happens further is up to society, is up to other people. And this can be ethically very dangerous. Also, the, uh, the, the lack of um, using technology in a responsible way, one could say, that is actually the lesson of Frankenstein. But what happens is that people read the story as um, yeah, a warning uh, to be afraid of this thing called technology, this thing called robot, this thing called um, AI. In my book on um, romanticism and technology, I explain more um, the, the romantic background of this fear and fascination for machines at the same time. So um, what I propose then is to leave the science fiction for a moment and look at the ethical issues that challenge us now and, are, and in, in the next 10, 20 years. Because artificial intelligence and robotics are already there, they are already used, and there is progress being made with these technologies. So we can see already what's, what's happening there, and we can focus on this for the ethical analysis, rather than um, on the idea that in the far future there will be risks for humanity. So, and when we do that, um, it's also important to realize that there's no such thing as general AI, there's no such thing as an AI which can completely um, mimic the uh, uh, cognitive capacities of human beings. So, the project of AI, as it was in the, in, uh, the Dartmouth workshop formulated, was to, to imitate human intelligence, well, this project has not succeeded yet. What has succeeded though, and what succeeds always more, is um, that artificial intelligence, what is called artificial intelligence, helps us to um, do specific tasks. And artificial intelligence in that sense is already there, is already behind the apps in your phone, is in that sense already in your pocket. 
And so I think that AI we need to look at for the, the, the uh, we, we need to also ethically worry about, and we also need to see, of course, the positive sides of it. So what is AI? Well, there was already classical AI, which worked with databases and a decision tree where a human being says, uh, if this happens, then do that. Um, and this can be represented by, by human beings. Um, it, it represents the reasoning by human beings. But what we have today, <coughs> excuse me, is the success of machine learning. And machine learning works with statistical analysis, with analysis of probabilities, and humans understand statistics, but what the machine does is not always transparent. I will come back to this. In any case, machine learning um, also combined with availability of much more computer power and the availability of a large amount of data, much more data are collected than ever before, that in total leads to a situation where we see that AI indeed has consequences in the world, and that, I think, uh, spurs us to, to think ethically about these consequences. Um, AI is also there in uh, various domains. Um, I will not go into each of these domains, but let's look at some ethical issues. And behind this will always loom the question what AI is, because AI there, are, there is code, there, there are algorithms, but AI is often related to other technologies as well. For example, can be embedded in a robot. Um, it can, can be used for an infrastructure. There's, there are usually all kinds of technologies related to it. Think about a self-driving car, for example, um, where you can have software um, that is uh, artificially intelligent, but that software can only do what it does because there are sensors built in in the car, because the car has all kinds of components that can uh, respond to the decisions of the software. So often AI is part of a larger technological system, and we can say, taking into account also what science and technology studies have taught us, um, that, that um, AI is part of social technical, technological systems. It's never just AI by itself, as if it's a thing, as if it's something that's totally autonomous. No, it's always humans, humans who have programmed it, uh, humans who use it in particular contexts that, uh, that are also important. And, uh, so if we ask the ethical question, it shouldn't be only about this thing called AI, but it should be about this broader system also and all these relations that are there um, between technologies and between technologies and people. Um, then if we go to the problems, um, it is also true that not all problems, ethically speaking, with AI are new. We already knew, for example, about the problem of privacy. Privacy and data protection is already for long an issue um, uh, since we have the internet. Uh, the, what happens now, of course, is that there are much more data collected um, and that these data are analyzed by AI, so there is a difference. But the, the, the kind of ethical problem is roughly the same. So there are some, some usual suspects there uh, for people who have studied ethics of technology. And um, yeah, there, that means also that conceptually there are already some tools available uh, to think about this. There are already people thinking about privacy for decades. So if that's the case, then it's important to also um, harness this knowledge that we already have and then use it in relation to AI. Um, the same with um, critical studies of technology coming from a more Marxist tradition, um, which points to the exploitation of users on the internet. For example, um, they use the concept of digital labor, which means that you think that you use a service, but actually you are used by the company. Um, to, uh, the, the company takes your data and sells that to advertisers, and this is uh, their business model is also 
what, what actually happens. So you're basically the, the, the product. So this is an interesting argument. And it's applicable already to um, what we have uh, in, the, in the internet, social media uh, form of the internet. And so AI then uh, taps into that. AI can, can uh, make these problems worse. Um, AI can, can augment the problems. And for that reason, again, it is important to raise it also with regard to AI, but it's nothing new that within a capitalist system, uh, this kind of exploitation happens. So again, important to see that the, there's, there's no new problem there. Uh, safety, already in the 19th century, um, people were uh, dying in factories because the technology of the, of the time, the machines of the time, uh, were, were not safe enough. So uh, uh, adults died, children died. Today, we have a different situation. Um, so the, the evolution was a little bit 19th century. You have the, the, the humans very close to the machines. Humans get hurt by the machine if things go wrong. Because the humans were still very necessary. It was very, very kind of cyborgic system in that sense. But then in the 20th century, we have isolated the robots from the humans, saying like uh, to the workers, please stay away from the robots. Robots are very dangerous. Uh, don't come near the robot. And now, interestingly, in Industry 4.0, we are moving towards a situation where, again, the humans are working closer uh, with the machines, but where the machines are supposed to be intelligent and uh, see with the sensors um, where the humans are, respond to this, and uh, for example, uh, go, go faster when the human is further away, but when the human is very close, go, go slower. So uh, concepts of intelligent um, uh, and in, indeed artificial intelligence safety can then be used in factories. But of course, things can go wrong. Um, so again, the problem of safety by itself is not new, but the kind of safety issues are different. Um, so again, combination of old and new, and also good again to see in the, in the context where the 19th century already provides uh, some norm normative guidance what, where problems are, but that we have to do then the analysis today what exactly um, is wrong. Another problem, and there we move already closer to specific problems, um, because when you have a robot with artificial intelligence and that robot is used in combination with children, for example, in healthcare, but can also be in the home as companion, then there can be specific problems because the AI here uh, functions in such a way that the robot becomes more autonomous and seems to the child as if it is um, a being on its own. Um, and even adults sometimes think this in the beginning or uh, one part of us uh, wants to interact with the robot in, in this way. This raises the issue like, is, is it okay to deceive people into thinking that a machine is more than a machine, that it is your friend, for example? Um, is, is, is it okay to do that? Um, and uh, what if children perceive the robot as, as, as their friend and become attached to it and then suddenly have to part from it because maybe suddenly the, as, as has happened sometimes, the, the company doesn't, does no longer support the system. So these are, these are new problems created by technology that makes um, the, te the technology more autonomous. Um, so also in, in, in elderly care, for example, um, to, to give a robot to an elderly person and say like, this, person is, this, this robot is now going to be your friend and your helper, um, is this respecting human dignity? Um, for example, does it mean that that there will be less humans involved in healthcare, or does it mean that um, that there will be still the humans and still family members, for example, visiting, but the robot is just used as a tool? How how, how will the robot be used um, now with artificial intelligence? Again, the the um, the tendency is towards automation. 
and therefore replacement. But that this is not necessary. It is possible in healthcare, for example, to use a robot um, not to replace the humans, but to augment. For example, um, one can have a robotic exoskeleton that itself moves and so helps a person um, to, uh, to move again, to rehabilitate. Um, one can also have, in, in a context of nursing, a robot that helps to lift a patient. Again, it's a kind of automation, but it's an automation that, that is used in addition to the human and not to replace the human. So there are different possibilities there. Um, but, but often the discussion is only about replacement. So we, we can try to move it differently. So one other um, spe specific issue with AI is, is responsibility. And here I want to, to say a bit more about it because I do more research on it. And that is, has again to do with, with increased automation. So what you have is that because more automation, the machine has more agency, does things by itself. And this raises the problem, who, is, who or what is then responsible um, for what a machine does can be good things, but also bad things, of course. So what if something goes wrong? Um, thinking again about the factory context um, where workers are, can be harmed, think about the attachment of the child, but also, for example, uh, when we talk about AI, about a, a crash on the financial market, who is responsible when something like that happens? So, on the one hand, the, the, the machine has more agency or the algorithm has more agency, does more, but at the same time, the problem is that we cannot really, um, we cannot really hold the machine responsible because the machine doesn't have um, really uh, an awareness or a free will. Let me think about this philosophically. So in, in philosophy, we have um, Aristotle's two conditions of responsibility, saying that someone is responsible if that person, first of all, um, does, has done the action and has done the action voluntarily, and second, knows what she's doing. And then you're responsible. And and with humans, this, this works. Uh, we, we see like who did it and, and did, did this person uh, want this also? Perhaps did this person intent this? Um, and we also we can see if this person knew what she was doing, if she had enough knowledge. And then if, if all these conditions are fulfilled, we say, okay, human, you are responsible. The problem in this case is that yeah, the, the, the robot or, or the uh, artificial intelligent machine um, does not fulfill these conditions, is not aware of anything, um, so cannot voluntarily do something, uh, cannot know anything in the sense that humans know. So the only solution is really, <clears throat> is really to make um, humans responsible. Yeah? But then the question is, if we look at control condition, who is actually in control? Who was involved in this? And here is a, a case where um, in Arizona in 2018, a pedestrian died um, because pedestrian was hit by a self-driving car. So who is responsible in this case? There's not really one human probably responsible. There are all kinds of potential parties that can be responsible. It can be the car maker who, who failed to make software that recognized the pedestrian. It can be the pedestrian, not to forget. Pedestrians are not necessarily innocent. Uh, in this case, the pedestrian didn't cross at the crosswalk, but, but somewhere else. Um, it could be the state of Arizona who did not put enough regulation in place that would force the company to take certain actions. Um, and it could, of course, also be the operator who, who uh, did not on time react. Uh, my point is not so much about this particular case, but just to make you think like 
there, there are many parties involved, what we call many hands in technological action. And this is certainly the case with AI. Um, with AI, uh, we also have uh, all kind of different stages in time and we have different humans involved. Uh, for example, if you have AI working with a data set, the data set is first created by someone, the data set has been, um, has been uh, manipulated by someone, manipulated in, in a neutral sense, um, but choices have been made by doing that. Uh, data can, can, be, can be cleaned, uh, processed in different ways. Data sets can be combined. Um, there's someone, of course, also who, who wrote the algorithm, um, but maybe the algorithm was already written by someone else and the person is just using the algorithm developed in one context and uh, then it's used in another context. Um, so there is a time process and there are many people involved. There's also, in addition, many things. So if we think back about the car again, um, if there is a car accident, it can be all kinds of parts of the car. Maybe the algorithm was totally fine, but uh, there was something wrong with the sensor. This happens, for example, in um, airplanes sometimes, uh, that one particular part fails, <clears throat> and then, of course, the whole system is in trouble. Um, of course, the engineers then pro try to, to, um, to avoid the situation, having backups and so on, but essentially, Technological systems um, are vulnerable in a relational way, they, uh, in the sense that there are all kinds of relations between different components and interfaces. And so if, if something goes wrong in one part, there's a problem for other parts. So many hands, many things, and different uh, things that happen in time. Um, the aircraft example is also interesting because there we have like a fully developed process of um, accident investigation. So we care a lot about safety. For some reason, when we get into an airplane, we make it a really big thing. We have also security controls a lot. This is a, another issue, um, but, but still, so we, we think security is a really important problem. We think safety is a really important problem. So we have a lot of proce procedures. We have institutions to make flying as safe as possible. When we get in a car, by contrast, we don't have these strict procedures. There are much more people dying in cars, but we don't adapt our cities radically. We still like cars. We, we think about oh, maybe electric cars, but we still keep the solution car for transportation. So whether that's irrational or not, um, sounds pretty irrational to me. Um, but it's in any case um, something to think about, ethically speaking. What, do we really care about deaths and risk or, or, or not? Um, and so for AI, it will be also important to put that in a wider context. What, what are actually the risks involved uh, for people, harm to people? Uh, could be in some cases that the risk is very, very small. Uh, could be in some cases that the probability is low, but the potential consequences are huge. For example, if you have um, a nuclear power plant run by an AI. Um, so we have to look at the specific applications always of AI. Um, also, there are all kinds of gradations of automation. For example, in the, to take the car um, case again, um, when many of us already have some degree of automation. Um, uh, think about cruise control, um, which probably in, in Australia you really need if you have long distances, I can imagine. Um, but you can also have automated parking goes already further. Um, you, and you can have, of course, a fully automated car. Um, and, and we're more and more moving towards that. Now, my point here is that it's good to look at what is technically possible again, because we don't have to go for full automation. So some people think that, that the choice is between using AI for full automation or not using AI at all. And that's not a choice we have. We can do semi-automation, basically, and we can do all kinds of uh, steps in between. And so for the car, for example, we can also, as a, as a society, decide that so far 
that's for, uh, self-driving cars, fully self-driving cars uh, are, are not acceptable yet for all kind of reasons, including that they're not technically good enough. So this is a possibility. Um, then uh, let's look at the knowledge condition, um, because do we really know what we, we're doing when we're using AI? Um, who is the we? So many humans don't know what they're doing, I claim, and this, this can mean various things. So someone cannot know the limitations of a system as a user. Thinking again about a car, imagine that after this talk, I would get into a self-driving car uh, that is my taxi and brings me to the hotel. And this is a scenario that's often used, so say an Uber car, think again about Arizona also. Um, so you get into your self-driving taxi, which brings you uh, somewhere, um, and you kind of trust that this uh, system will, will um, do what it's supposed to do, but you don't really understand the limitations of that particular system. And so if today this car would stand here outside this building, um, I would not really know the limitations. I would not really know how this car is programmed. I would not really know what is actually my risk if I get into this car. Um, this kind of problem needs to be solved because if I don't know what I'm doing as a passenger of such a car, then how can there be any responsibility on my part? Uh, so the idea is again, the assumption is here that we need to make some people responsible for the use of, of technology um, and that should include the user as well. So not all I don't always want to blame the, the person who, um, who designs the system or, or who, who owns the company who designs the system. Um, then also, an, another problem is that even if you want to um, know the technical limitations, that maybe you don't know the potential ethical consequences. So this is more a question towards designers and developers because they often are more aware of the limitations of their system than anyone else, right? Because they made it. Um, not always, by the way, because often software, as I said, is used that already exists or uh, is just slightly adapted, but it doesn't always mean that the, that person who uses or adapts the software knows that software very well. Um, but okay, imagine that's the case, but then still that person may, might not know the potential ethical consequences. Um, and that is very difficult also to know sometimes. Like in this case, we're talking about a technology that's, that's emerging, that's tried out. Um, and yeah, neither the developer nor society as a whole has already a clear idea of the ethical consequences. This should not be immediately an argument for saying like we, we stop the development, but it should be an argument for trying to think together with all kind of different parties um, in society about what, what could be the potential ethical consequences and how can we deal with that technically, uh, also by means of regulation and so on. And then the third category, and this is what's usually focused on, is that there are indeed so-called black, black box uh, AI systems where uh, decisions are made in a way that are not transparent, not even to the, to the people who um, made the system. They, they know, of course, how it works, uh, but they cannot necessarily explain every step of the decision-making of the machine because that works with statistics, probabilities, and uh, in a neural net, there are different layers, but this is not trans transparent to, to the outside. So there is suddenly a result, a recommendation by the AI, but it cannot be explained how the AI came to that decision in the same way as a human comes to a decision. So this is a problem if, for example, a judge uh, takes a decision based on the advice of an AI about someone's sentence, um, so send someone to prison or back to prison, uh, but cannot really explain to the prisoner why she took that decision. Um, and the same with, with uh, imagine in a medical case, if your doctor says like, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know how the AI came to this result, but the AI says that you have 
you know, 65% to die or something. This is, this is for humans, uh, is, is difficult to understand, but it's also ethically problematic, I think, because if someone else takes a decision about our lives, to, to put it more, uh, more absolute, we, we really want to know how that person came to the decision. And so here, this kind of type of AI machine learning in combination with neural nets creates this uh, problem. Um, so one could say then in response, we have the right to know why. Um, in Europe, there, there is a general data protection regulation where there is a right to be informed. And you could say it's, it would already be great if we are always informed that AI is used. Uh, often if we use a, an, an app on the internet, we don't really know that AI is analyzing our data and how it's doing that. But a right to, to, um, for explanation constitutes much more. It means that in my particular case, there is a full explanation of, of a decision. And this is so far uh, not demanded by this regulation and is also so far uh, technically difficult, if not impossible. Um, one could try with, again, using AI to make uh, the process more explicable in human terms. Um, but this is just yeah, research that's, that's beginning. Um, and also, I think it's, it's important, if we look at the terms, to not say that, the, that, that, that AI decides, but only humans can really decide, because they, they are, have, have this knowledge condition, they're aware of what they're doing and aware of consequences in the best case. Um, then uh, also with responsibility, one should not forget, because this was only about the agent of responsibility, of like, can humans be responsible, can, can machines be responsible, but one should also ask the question, to whom should we re be responsible, so to whom should we be able to explain, and this question leads more to um, what, what philosophically can be called the moral patient, the, the, the person who is affected by decisions. So, in general, when we think about ethics of technology, it's important to also um, ask the people who are affected and not only talk among experts, uh, but, but ask the specific people in a, in a certain sector. Um, for example, in, in healthcare, one could ask nurses and also patients in the end, um, what, you know, what would you think if we use this uh, technical system for this purpose, what would it mean for you and what, do, what, what, what could be problems? Um, how, how can we deal with that together? And so this is a very different approach than, um, than just thinking about it in general. And then, then of course, all kind of um, societal implications. The most known one is, of course, the, the discussion about work. Philosophical, very interesting because one question is, um, Will we move to, to um, a leisure society? If the machines take our work, maybe we can just have fun. The problem with that is that um, this was already said long ago and it still has not happened. Instead, what's, what happens tends to happen is that um, some people are put out of work and the people who have work um, uh, are, are burdened with more and more stress and uh, more and more work. Um, so it hasn't happened uh, in, in, in my view. Um, and also uh, it raises a question like, okay, do we really want to get rid of work at all? Is, would, would the leisure society be a good thing? Uh, because maybe work has also some benefits for people. Um, work can be meaningful, can give meaning to people's lives. So maybe we don't want to get rid of work in general. Maybe we'd want to get rid of certain types of work and we want to get uh, reorganize maybe certain practices. But that's a very different kind of question. Um, so again, it's a question that's about humans also. Um, and then of course, a general question about the meaning of life. Uh, what, what would be a meaningful life? This race, like, if one says like, okay, we have to do organized society completely, uh, different and uh, it would work that the machines take take over uh, all the all the things that we now call jobs. 
then we can do more interesting things. But what, um, what, what is more interesting? Um, <clears throat> and if people say like, yeah, let's do all kind of creative jobs. Does everyone wants to do this kind of jobs? Can everyone do this kind of jobs? Um, these, these are all kind of um, questions that, um, that are raised by the technology. Then also um, uh, problem of bias. This is often discussed today um, where yeah, through machine learning, a certain bias that already exists in society can uh, get into the process. A bias can also be created by the algorithm. Uh, bias can also arise because a, a team of developers consists, for example, ab only about uh, white men between um, 25 and, and 30 or something like that. So th there are different ways bias can slip into um, the use of artificial intelligence. Um, and so <clears throat> this is, this is um, um, a huge problem and also interesting because it paradoxically AI here also has a function of, of revealing bias, revealing bias in our society. Because if it uses data from the internet, if it uses data from our language corpora, it can show also that um, yeah, bias is already there in our society. What kind of bias is there? And so it can also um, function as a, as a kind of uh, yeah, signal um, to, um, to deal with that problem. I will not go in, in further detail about bias. Um, generally, I want to say that technology is always part of a cultural context. Uh, for example, a lot of technology we have today is developed in Silicon Valley, which means that also the culture of Silicon Valley is spreading everywhere. But do we all want to be like Silicon Valley culture? Um, so we have to think about these issues. Um, then at the end, I want to more towards policy. I want to argue for a bottom-up approach um, where experience and practices are also the source for philosophers and where it's not just the idea that we have some abstract principles which are then applied to um, practice, but also listen to people in the practices. Uh, proactive, instead of waiting until a disaster happens, uh, trying to do something is good for, for uh, also for, for companies, for example. Um, and then, yeah, um, trying to uh, also take into account power differences. Um, it's now the case that a lot of these technologies in AI and similar technologies are developed by a handful of big companies. Um, which therefore have a lot of power over us. Do we want this or not? What can we do about it? Uh, how do we want to deal with that? Um, what does it mean for how we deal with our social, social economic system in general? Um, and then, yeah, I think it's, it's a global problem, so it needs global action. And finally, uh, ethics is, um, for me, not only about red lines, not only about saying no, but also thinking about where we want to go, in what direction do we want to go as individuals, what is a good life, but also what, what would be a, a wise way to organize our society. Um, artists can help with that. Um, and for policy making, it means that we need to think indeed about what to do. Um, but also in the end, um, my experience with, with this kind of policy advice is that it's very important to then operationalize, uh, to not only talk about ethical principles, but also then look at specific sectors and cases and see how, um, what, what does AI mean in that particular sector, in that particular case, what are the ethical problems, what does it mean to respect explainability, for example, um, in, uh, with regard to self-driving cars. And then, um, next to the what and the how, also the who again, uh, to ask also as policymakers who is affected by the technology and um, do we want to involve these people in uh, innovation processes? How can this be organized? Should this be left to, to private sector? Uh, what role should, should governments play in this? Um, and in the end, the question like who, who makes the rules, who, sh who should make the, rule, uh, the, the rules for um, ethical AI? 
Um, so there's a question that relates to, to big questions again about the democracy in society and uh, in the context of the erosion of democracy and democratic values today uh, about everywhere in the world, it's important to ask this question also, uh, I think, here in the context of technology. Uh, finally, there's also cultural differences um, that, that are interesting to look at. I will not uh, talk about that, but I would like to end with one question for you also. Um, given that there's so much, uh, rightly, so much attention for climate change today um, and how to deal with climate change, one should also ask uh, in AI ethics, in, in, uh, when, when asking ethical questions about AI and other technologies, um, is AI now the priority or, or should we have other priorities? There are many global problems, poverty, uh, uh, malnutrition uh, still there, um, lots of different kind of environmental problems also, not only climate change. Um, wh what should be our priority there? And even if AI is our priority, <clears throat> what is the relation with climate change? Um, on the one hand, it looks like AI could be a problem for climate change because it can be used for technologies who increase pollution. It can be produced. Uh, these technologies can be produced in a way that uh, involve exploitation of humans and, and of the environment. Uh, on the other hand, maybe AI can be a solution also, can be part of the solution for dealing with climate change. But what then can it do? Uh, how can, can, can AI help us there? Um, so I think the, the question of AI ethics should also be put in the context of uh, these discussions, um, uh, which shows again that, yeah, for me, questions about technology are always also uh, about these bigger societal questions. And so you cannot avoid it, I think, and you, sh you should also not uh, avoid it. And so it's not a merely technical question, but also always uh, political. I think if we uh, proceed in this way, this is not giving answers to all the questions, but if we ask these questions in this way, um, and if it's not only a question of a political elite who decides and makes the rules, or only of, of experts, um, then I think we can move to, to this more ethical, fair, inclusive, and uh, even environmentally friendly AI. And a big condition for this is also that uh, we, we have more bridges between the disciplines, uh, as also happens here at the university and at many universities more and more. But I think could be more radically happen too. Uh, do we really need uh, this 19th century faculty still? Or can we think of other ways to organize the university? Um, is the university also the, the best place or the only place to do have these discussions? So we can all kind of, uh, all kind of critical questions can be asked about that. Um, but I have to uh, stop here to give you also the chance for questions um, and, and to learn from what you uh, have to say on these matters. I just want to point out at the end of my talk that yeah, so, uh, many of the things that I've said tonight will also be in this book that comes out uh, in 2020. Thank you. I think that you have just shown us so wonderfully how um, philosophers can bring a really sophisticated um, angle and you know, to this incredibly important debate, and particularly around that word responsibility, which, you know, over thousands of years, philosophers have really worked on. And um, you've brought it here to show how, on a very practical level, philosophy still has a part to play, and one which I think you have, you know, if anyone needed convincing, um, you've shown is incredibly important. So I'm very pleased that the European Commission has you on its board on artificial intelligence, and we have to think of a new word to describe that <laughs> phenomenon. So if, um, please, everyone, if you could join me to thank Mark. Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. For more information about our upcoming events or to listen to more podcasts, head to sydney.edu.au forward slash sydney underscore ideas.